You are listening to the official podcast of Salem Tabernacle in Beacon, New York, a community of people devoted to experiencing life as God meant it to be. Two texts from the Gospel of Luke this morning. Jesus says, I came to cast fire on the earth, and would that it were already kindled. I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. Everybody say, until. Do you think that I have come to give peace? Yes. No. Okay. I tell you, but rather division. Jesus says this. Do you think that the Prince of Peace came to bring peace? And you're like, yes. And he's like, no. And you're like, I'll never answer another question again. I didn't. I came to bring division. About a chapter later, now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman who had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. When Jesus saw her, everybody say saw. He called, say called, and he said to her, woman, you are freed from your disability. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight, and she glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, not to Jesus, beware when someone disagrees with you and talks to other people about it first. Again, I never noticed that until I just read it out loud. He said to the people, there are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed and not on the Sabbath day. Something you should not have said in front of Jesus. Then the Lord answered, you hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water it? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, who Satan bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? Burn. And as he said these things, his adversaries were put to, and all the people rejoiced at the glorious things that were done by him. Holy Spirit, I pray right now that you would open our hearts to joyfully hear a word that you're giving to free us from those things that keep us from being able to stand up straight and see the beauty of your healing work in the earth. We pray that this would happen in this room. We pray that it would happen in churches throughout Dutchess County. We pray that all houses of worship would somehow mysteriously lead to you, Lord Jesus. We know all roads don't lead to heaven, but we also know that you travel on every single road. And so we pray that all of us, every person, anywhere, whatever their church is, even if it's their home, would come into contact with you this morning and be healed. In your name we pray. And everybody said, amen. You may be seated this morning. Okay, so I was away for a week, and on that week I made up a new word. Yep, you should be nervous. And I also made a definition for it, but we'll get to that. The word I made up is the title for our next three weeks, and it's called Seasonalism, the Pumpkin Spice Problem. (laughs) I didn't go on social media all that much when I was on, on vacation because I needed to take a break from the mission field, 
so I didn't go on to social media. Far too dangerous. But when I did, I saw some people excited in 90-degree weather because Dunkin' Donuts has heretically decided to put out their sticky pumpkin spice for people who still are swimming in pools. I know gas prices are bad, but this is a problem. Milk might cost $675, but this is what we need to be focusing on. August pumpkin spice. I think Satan is surprised at how low we have fallen as a community of people. How about this picture? Jacqueline was in ShopRite, and she sent me a picture of the coffee creamer that has the Grinch on it. He waited until Christmas Eve. We're actually doing worse than him. He doesn't show up until Christmas Eve to try to steal Christmas. We're taking it in August. A few years ago, on Thanksgiving, the stores in competition with each other decided they're going to have some online shopping on Thursday, on Thanksgiving. And I remember eating with my sister, and we're enjoying Thanksgiving dinner, and she's got her hands under the table, and I'm like, oh, she's praying. She's shopping. How dare you shop on Thanksgiving? And she said, well, Converse is doing buy one pair of sneakers, get the other for free. And I was like, just pick me up two. I need the black and the red, and I need the brown with the white bottom. It's amazing we have a pumpkin spice problem. We don't know how to transition in Funny things like pumpkin spice, which, again, if you're asking me and if I have any authority in your life and if you want to go to heaven, pumpkin spice cannot be had until after Labor Day if you're a human person. It's for the fall, and that's a stretch because I could say September 21st, I'm being lenient, everyone. I agree with that. September 21st, or if, you, if the high for the day at Albany International Airport is below 70, then you can have it after Labor Day. I'm not a monster. There's wiggle room here. But what this is really showing us, so my sister texted me. She's like, hey, pumpkin spice. And I was like, hey, can you go protest outside of Dunkin' Donuts? And she said, what are we protesting? And I said, seasonalism. And she said, what is seasonalism? And I just spewed out this answer. I said, seasonalism is the intentional combining of or ignoring seasons to avoid the vulnerability of change. You know, I have said so many things about Jesus and no one's clapped. I'm talking about coffee. And everybody's like, yes! Preach until 2 p.m. I will. The intentional combining or ignoring of seasons to avoid the vulnerability of change. The reality, and, and this, is, this is funny, the pumpkin spice problem, but this is true of all of us. We have trouble in moments of transition. Right now, we're all transitioning from the end of the summer to the fall, and the two are kind of bleeding together at the moment. 
And, you know, I remember earlier, earlier in August seeing one of my friends post a picture uh, from her pool. Like, it was like her cup of coffee. And she said, I'm so sad summer is coming to an end. It's August 2nd. We have a problem transitioning. Like, we're nervous about the change, and so we either hasten the change to, like, to get it over with now, or we pretend things have never changed even when they have. We have a problem with transition. We're all literally in a season of change as we speak, summer to fall. We're in this post-COVID change where we're sort of going back to being able to be out, which we all have fairly embraced. And now, like, all the diseases seem to be getting more unified than the church. COVID, monkeypox, polio, they're like, hey, how about we all get together and charge at the same time? But we're in this transition to say, what is life like on the other side of this unexpected bombshell of two and a half years? Every one of us, we're forever aging, whether we like it or not. We're forever changing. We will never be the same as we were five minutes ago. Our body, time, is in a perpetual state of transition. It's important to talk about transition because in many ways, it's all we will ever be in on this side of God's eternity. When we are in glorified bodies like Jesus' body, when Jesus rose from the dead on Easter, there's this unique verse where it says they knew who he was, but they didn't want to ask him who he was. And the reason some say they were confused is because they knew it was Jesus, but it was the first time they were seeing creation, his body, there, it was the first time they were ever seeing something that was no longer changing. It was what it will always and forever be at that point. And it was startling to them because everything we see is changing. Everything we see is in transition. I was watching Sophia her first, her first few days on the beach we were watching her closely because we found out from some parents, they came to us and they said, so why did you, uh, you know, that's a really nice name, what you named your daughter, but why did you name her Fox? I'm like, excuse me? Yeah, your daughter told our kids that her name is Fox and that she lives in Ocean City. So Jacqueline, after we get out of that somehow, Jacqueline's like, are you concerned about this? I'm like, yeah, why would she pick the name Fox? Why not, like, Star Trooper or something cooler? And Jacqueline's like, that's not the point. I'm like, oh, yeah, right, right, right. Her name's Sophia. I forget it. Like, that was my thing. I was like, she picked Fox of all the fake names you could pick. And we're sitting there. I'm like, so we got, we got to watch her a little closely because she's in this stage now where she's telling stories. And I'm watching her play in the water. And I think I sent Ian a pic of this, too, one of my favorite ones of her of all time. And I'm watching her, I'm watching her play and she's standing there. I don't know where she gets this from. She's, like, telling the waves what to do. She's like, don't! And then, like, sometimes they don't. And I see her be like, oh, my God. Like Moana. Like, it kind of just listen. And then other times, the waves just come barreling towards her. And she runs, runs, runs. And at first, like, this is the first year she was, like, in the waves. 
And so I'm watching her, and she's just for days just is doing this thing where she's putting her hands out, and she's yelling at the water, and when it doesn't listen, she runs. And as the week went on, she stopped yelling at the waves, and she started playing in them a lot better. She started learning how it works. And I thought in that moment of our spiritual lives in transition, the, the, the ocean, uh, the, the beach ocean meeting is one of the greatest examples of perpetual transition where you have the wave break and then it pulls back and it breaks and then it pulls back and there's constant transition. It's either receding or it's crashing. And at first she's telling the transition what to do and it doesn't listen. Jesus said, you could be as worried as you want, but it's not going to add or take away one hour to your span of life. You could yell at change as much as you want to, but it's coming. Eventually, she stops yelling at it, and she learns how to ebb and flow in it. She learns how it moves. And I think that is what the Holy Spirit has for us. He wants us to learn how to ebb and to flow, how to surf the transitions in our life how to know when something's about to crash down that you need to move a little bit and how to know when things recede. It doesn't mean that everything's good. It doesn't mean just because there's dry land now that there's not going to be another wave coming. And so she, I'm watching her and I'm seeing in her how we need to learn to just sort of ebb and flow in transition so we don't end up with this pumpkin spice problem that we all have that everybody has, except for me. In this text, Jesus, what does he say? He says, I have a baptism to be baptized with, and I wish it were fulfilled. Jesus is saying, I wish I could just get to where we're going. How many have gone and gotten a needle from the doctor before? And you say, I wish I could just press a button and have, have the needle now. We don't like the lead up to it. We just want to get to the other side of it. And that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying my baptism obviously is the cross. And he's saying I wish it was just fulfilled. I wish I was on the other side of it. But he doesn't run faster to it. And he doesn't pull away from it. He lives in the transition the best he can while he's in transition from not dying on the cross to dying on the cross. Jesus' life, he's the Lord of transition. He's the one who went from infant to adult. We watch the transition of Jesus' actual body. He is showing us how to get older and face death well. He's showing us how to do it. He's not showing us how to avoid it. He's showing us how to move toward it, not faster or slower, but at the pace it's actually happening. We watch him go from occupational ministry to vocational ministry. We see him go from being a carpenter to being the, the full-time Messiah of the world. I wonder what the qualifications on career builder would be for that job. Must be able to lift 50 pounds, probably a little bit more than that. We watch him transition from having an earthly father to having one who passed away. We watch him transition from Nazareth to Galilee to Samaria to Jericho to the wilderness. 
We watch him transition from life to death to life. We watch him transition. The liturgical year that we're in. We're in what's called ordinary time right now. Ordinary time should be the only time that we actually celebrate. Ordinary time is half the year. All the other times are half the year. Ordinary time is half the year because we're supposed to know this time, which, what is ordinary time? It's life in the Spirit of Christ. That's one day going to be the ordinary, the normal, is going to be the life that Jesus lived. The life full of the Holy Spirit bringing grace and truth wherever he goes. But we can't just celebrate ordinary time because the time we're in is still in transition. So we start with Advent and we go to Christmas and we go to Epiphany and we go to Lent. Everyone's favorite one, Lent. And then we go to Easter and then we go to Pentecost and then we go to ordinary time. And we stay here for a very long time, but then we go back to Advent again. The church has picked up on the fact over... 2,000 years that the way God revealed Jesus to us in the Bible is not a Jesus who was the same every page, but it was a Jesus who was an infant, who was 12, who was an adult, who was a carpenter, who became a full-time itinerant preacher, who transitioned from geographical places to vocational places to different kinds of seasons of his ministry, some very fruitful, some filled with opponents and, and all kinds of disagreement and strain and stress. We see a Christ that goes through all this. So what does the church do over the years? It makes us travel with Jesus through all these different seasons. So we learn how to transition well and not have, say it with me, a pumpkin spice problem. We have a pumpkin spice problem. We want to take all the transitions and make them happen now so we don't have to transition. Why? Because nothing makes us more vulnerable than when we're changing. Nothing makes us more vulnerable than when we're changing. Before we get deeper into the text quickly, has anybody gotten ready to go on vacation before? Like pack a car? Does transition not make you the most vulnerable human being to everything Satan wants you to think and do? Has anybody even worse packed to go home? There's no motivation there. I'm working super hard to leave this nice place. The kids are like, can I help? You can help. But don't detract from what we're doing. Theo put the clothes back. Theo, Jacqueline, Theo took everything we folded and put away. He, he took it out. He's having fun, though. I had the lovely task of realizing we forgot to buy extra garbage bags. And so... I had to take garbage from one garbage bag and put it into another one because we're consol I'm consolidating garbage bags. This is what everything that I've worked for in my life, everything I've prayed for, everything my mom fasted for, for me, has gotten me to the point where I am transitioning garbage from one garbage bag to another one to go home. Transitions make us vulnerable. They're the moments where, you ready? If you're going to write something down, here it is. Transitions are the moments where our truest self is seen. Our truest self is seen when we are not on our game. 
when we are between. That is when our truest self is seen. When you can put it together and you can know what's coming tomorrow, when you can administrate your day at work or administrate this moment, when you can do that, you can be nowhere near your truest self because you're going to look pretty good. But when you're in transition and everything is everywhere, you don't know which way is up or down, you're going from here to there, all of a sudden you're believing advertisements that say it's okay to drink pumpkin spice on the beach. you got to be kidding me, people. We have to do better than this. Transition when we're not on our game. Who you are when it's all moving and you can't get your bearings, that's who we really actually are. And that's where God wants to lay his hand and help us straighten up. When we're transitioning from little things like summer to fall, like summer vacation to school, whatever it is, little things to large things like age, as we're transitioning, we realize how bent over our back really is with the weights and cares of the world. We realize how little patience we have for ourselves and for others. We realize how nervous we are about stuff. We realize how insecure we are about stuff. When we're transitioning, and you can look at the funny examples like packing or unpacking a car. You can look at, you know, I, my, my brother, my sister-in-law, Jen, they have four kids. And I asked Frankie one day, I was like, Frank, when you, when you and Jen had all the kids in the car and they were sleeping and you pulled up to the house at like 9 o'clock at night, did you ever just want to stay there forever? Just like stay in front of the house because they're all sleeping? And now between you and your bed is waking up these angels who will become demons, trying to get them ready for bed. We're going to be running around the house. It's going to be crazy. There's the moment where you're like, I don't want to transition. But you can't stay in the car all night with your children. Unless you have a camper, which is an entirely different conversation. Transition shows us where we're at but it's also what shows us what is, what is bending our back, what is weighing us down the most is seen in how we are when we transition. So what does Jesus want to do? He wants to divide, and he wants to shame. Encouraging? We don't like that because when we divide, we kill things. When we shame... We break things. When Jesus divides, he divides us from what divides us. When Jesus brings division into our life, he divides us from the things that we're falsely worshiping so that we could be our true self. When Jesus brings division into your life, like what did God do at Babel? He saw that they were unified. He saw that they were building something to their own name. He knew that that wouldn't lead to anything good. So he divided their language. But his division brought a unity that spread across the face of the whole earth. His division brought this beautiful thing that we call our ethnicity. His division brought this beautiful thing that we call tongues. His division brought this beautiful thing that we call culture. So when he divides, his division is very different than ours. When he's going to come and divide you from something, he's dividing you from something that is hurting you. He's dividing you from something that if you stay unified with it, you won't be able to bless your neighbor. So when he brings division, it's a division that brings peace. It's a division that unites 
Well, pastor, that's confusing. Well, welcome to my life. This is what I do. When he shames, what does it say? And it says, his opponents were ashamed. He brings shame. Listen to me now. He brings shame to what is adversarial in you. He doesn't shame you. He shames the you that is the opponent of him. This is tape on paper. This is a fine line. This is surgical. This is because I know you're the kind of church that can handle this little bit of depth here. Jesus doesn't shame your humanity. He shames the things in you that are destroying your humanity. When he healed the woman, he shamed the sickness that was breaking her back for 18 years. What does it say? It says that he triumphed over death and put it to an open shame. This is what it says. That he paraded the enemy around to an open shame. He took death and said, where's your sting? Where's your victory? And death has no answer for him. He shames evil into a tiny little nothing and takes it from you. So does it hurt sometimes when he does this? Yes. But is he shaming your humanity? He's saving it by shaming what is plaguing our humanity. How does he do it? First, transitions reveal where we're bound. So when you're in a transitional season, you'll see what Jesus may want to divide you from. You'll see some affections he may want to divide you from. You'll see some ways of treating other people that he wants to conquer in you. Doesn't ever want to conquer you. He wants to conquer what's conquering you. So how does he do this? Well, let's look at the ruler of the synagogue for a moment. When there's transitions, transitions reveal that we, number one, view healing as a chore or work. We view healing as a chore or work. What did, this, what did the ruler of the synagogue say? He said, can't you do work for six days and don't come here for healing? It's the Sabbath. You're not supposed to work on the Sabbath. Since when did healing become work? Since when did healing become a chore? But ask yourself, because I've asked myself this all week. I know the areas of my life where I need healing, and I don't want to go anywhere near them because they feel like work. I'm going to have to submit to process. I'm going to have to let God tell me things I don't want to hear. I'm going to have to see some things I thought I was getting real right that it turns out I'm getting real wrong. Who loves going through that process? Transition shows us those things for free. Packing that car, I said, I don't have the fruit of patience. I get it. I get it. I got mad at a bag. A non-human thing. I, I have a Mazda where the trunk will close for me, and I got mad because it didn't close fast enough and something fell out. Something that we bought on the boardwalk that I didn't want to spend money on is now on the floor, because, right? And so you realize, this transition, though, as funny as that is, it's revealing to me that there's, uh, I, my back is bent over spiritually in certain areas. 
I want to be able to stand up straight. I want to be able to be in a transition and appreciate that everything in that trunk shows that good life is happening in my home. Every, that thing, that toy that just fell out is something that lets me know my kids had a good time. This car is in one piece because we arrived safely. We were able to buy what is in there. This is my story. I want to be able to, in those moments, not be focused on what I can't do that I want to be doing, like getting on the road. These are prayer beads. There's no watch there. Just like. I want to look at everything in that trunk and be like, thank you. I don't deserve any of this. I didn't deserve to be here. I deserve to be around the family that I was just around. 15 of us, after everything we've all been through, still going on vacation together. Unreal. I want to focus on that. But I need to be divided from some affections. I need to be divided from some ways of thinking, some evil that is telling me things to think that aren't from Christ. Those, that, those thoughts need to be put to shame so that my real thoughts can flourish. I don't want healing to feel like a chore. I want healing to be what is Sabbath. Sophia learned how to ebb and flow in the ocean because she knows how to play. And because she knows how to play, she learned how to ebb and flow with the tide. Maybe if I would learn to have more of a playful spirit than an aggravated one, even something like packing could be something fun I could do with my kids. Maybe as we get too adult, we forget how to be playful. And God wants to divide us from this chore mentality and open us to a playful Sabbath mentality. Help us stand up straight. Or maybe that's just me and not you. We're in the confessional booth again. Make sure I'm forgiven when this is over, please. Everyone's so nervous. What did he just... How about this? Transitions reveal that we self-care, but also don't care. We self-care, but we also don't care. Jesus said it to them. You will take care of yourself by pulling your ox out of a hole because that donkey, that ox, those animals that you're untying and feeding and putting away again on the Sabbath, you're doing it because that's how you make money. So when it comes to your own provisions, you break the Sabbath all the time. But when it comes to another person who might be useless to you but is a daughter of Abraham, you tell her to show up on Tuesday to get healed? You do a lot of good self-care, but you also don't care. So think about it. Why am I annoyed packing the car? Because I want to get home. Because the Mets were playing a doubleheader, and I wanted to listen to one of the games on the radio and then watch the other one when I got home so that I could rest for ministry on Sunday. Getting mad at Sophia for talking because they're in the fourth inning. I'm trying to listen. I got a better story for you now that we're all freely sharing. I take Sophia to George and Cheryl's to go swimming like about a month ago. And I sit down. I didn't want to go in the water. I sit down on the side of the pool, put my feet in, and I'm talking to my sister-in-law, Laura. And Sophia goes, Daddy, I'm going to jump in. And I said, don't. I'm sitting right here. I don't want to get wet. 
And she goes, okay. And right away I'm like, hold on. You brought her to a pool. You sat your behind down on the side of it and are now telling her not to jump in it? Why did you bring her to a pool and with seats aplenty away from the pool? Are you sitting half in the water and then you don't want to get wet? And I was like, Sophia, I'm so sorry you could jump in. And she splashed me. I was annoyed. But think about that, though. There was self-care, but there was also I don't care. And that reveals what God wants to help straighten out in my life. That's a hunched over mentality to have. Bring your kid to a pool and then say, don't jump in. And when she said, okay, it crushed me. It crushed me. Because I'm like, why did I just do that? And my sister-in-law was like, oh, man, you're, you're a good dad. And I'm like, how'd that just happen? Because he works out. Every, like the, when we let this happen, when we can change on the fly, when you can let the Holy Spirit touch you now, not tomorrow when you start working on it, not next week when you buy a new Bible reading plan, not next Thursday when your new book comes in the mail, but when you say, I can make a better decision right now, pouring sweat, angry, offended, but right now you say, you know what, right now I'm going to make one good decision in the midst of all the muddle I feel, people will sense it immediately. And they will sense it faster than on your good days when you were good from beginning to end. Because you were the same all day. But when you're beginning to fall apart and you can grab it right there, when, you, when it starts to topple and you can say, hold on, I'm going to make one good decision. That will change the culture, the atmosphere of everything around you. Because everyone's like, like Jacqueline will be like, man, whew, good job today. I'm like, what? She's like, you didn't completely fall apart as a human man today. I'm proud of you. <laughs> and like part of you's like, thanks, hon. And part of you's like, what? her standards have gotten. <laughs> thanks for letting our daughter jump in the pool you brought her to. You're a great dad. It's funny, but it's a pumpkin spice problem. It really is. We don't know how to transition. I didn't know how to go from, like, work day to fun dad. I was having trouble transitioning in the day from, like, serious stuff from work to just play in the pool. And I, I brought all that, like, untransitional ickiness and said, don't jump in the water. Why? I need to jump in the water. That preaches a little bit, actually. We all need to jump in the water. I'm just kidding. Thank you, Tim. <laughs> Transitions reveal that we view healing as a chore or work. should be playful for God to heal you. It should be fun and romantic for God to heal you. And I'm saying this. You can make, you can't choose a new self. But you can choose to live into the new self God's already given to you right now. You could be falling apart at home. You could be in the thralls of a toxic way of thinking at home by yourself. And at any moment say, I'm going to do one good thing that is the opposite of the way I'm trending. It changes. I mean, you don't need to even be in church to hear that. They'll tell you out there, just do, do one new thing and you'll develop new momentum. It's true. But just one thing in the opposite direction of where you're trending. Self-care, but also care about other selves. Finally, transitions reveal 
that we assume helpless is hopeless. They didn't care about this woman because she was sick for so long that they just assumed there's no hope. There were moments, just to myself, in all different kinds of transitions. Little transitions like packing a car to gigantic transitions like being told, all right, you're, you're, you're going to pastor a church. Which one? The one you've been in. Oh, my goodness. Major transitions. Getting married, having kids. These are big transitions. In those transitions, you realize things about yourself that were broken yesterday, they're still broken today, and you're pretty sure they're going to be broken tomorrow. And you start to think, I'm just going to focus on the stuff that's not falling apart because this part of me is just never going to change. This part of my husband, never going to change. This part of my kids, it's never going to change. This thing that I've been praying for, that I've been standing on, this promise I wrote in this ratty old journal 25 years ago, I'm, I'm just giving it over to God. I'm not even talking about it anymore. Transitions have ways of making us look at the helpless and think that it's hopeless. We have one calling in life. Our calling is not to bring resurrection. Our calling is to bring the hope that it can happen. A woman said to us last November when we did the Thanksgiving baskets, this was one of just the most beautiful quick moments I've had. She said, I have no money, I have no food. And every year when my daughter comes over for the holidays, we have to go to another family member's house to have dinner. This is the first year I'm going to be able to have it at our house. Thank you. I can't wait till she comes home because she's going to smell turkey cooking here for the first time. Look at this. Is this woman out of poverty? No. Does she know what she's going to eat the day after Thanksgiving? No. Are her financial problems fixed? No. But was there a seed of hope planted? Yes. And she was offering Thanksgiving because of it. Our calling is not to fix everything. That's Jesus' job. Our calling is to show the world through little acts, seeds of hope, that change is going to come. And every tear will be wiped away. And here's the problem every time I say that now. We still believe in Jesus, but Jesus restoring the world has become a fairy tale to us. There's been so much debate, so much shade cast, so many confusing things taught over the years that we've just stopped thinking that this, this ache you have for your own life, the ache you have for your children, the ache you have to be a better person, the feelings of disappointment when you know life should have been this way and it failed to be, that ache is hope. That ache is hope. It's built into you to not accept emptiness as a final reality. And whenever you see emptiness and you ache, it's because something in you deeper than your brain knows he's going to restore it. I just wish it was now. How do you know that? Because Jesus said that, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I've longed to hover over you. He will, but it's not happening now. And he's aching, but his ache is leading to a day when the Bible says that the Holy Spirit will cover the world 
and its wings truly hovering over everything and protecting it. His ache is pointing to a reality, and so is yours. And whenever we see those moments where we're like, I, I've changed a lot in my life. If you've known me over the last, I'm about to be 40 next month. If you've known me over all my life, from infancy when my parents tell me I looked like E.T., which wasn't very nice, to now, I've changed a lot in many areas. But if you really, really know me, you know that there's things 20 years ago I struggle with that I struggle with today. And it's easy to look at those and be like, it's helpless, so it's hopeless, but it's not. It's because when you walk into the synagogue, when you walk into the church, when you walk into the presence of God, he sees you, he knows where your back is crushed and you can't look up, he will call you. He will speak to you, he will lay his hands on you, and he will heal you. He will. Whether it's in this life so that other people who need to see it can, or it's when he raises your body and we go from ashes to ashes to ashes to beauty. He's going to. And our job isn't to get there. It's to just have the hope that it's coming. And hope literally changes people's lives, including yours and mine, even when we can give ourselves hope. So let transition, stop fighting it. Stop having pumpkin spice in August. Stop having Black Friday on the Tuesday before it doesn't even make sense. Stop rushing to Walmart and crushing people to get a ceiling fan. I don't know. <laughs> Sit in the season you're in, even if it's coming to an end. Whatever the season is, even if it's coming to an end. Sit in it and know that Jesus said, when the end comes, the end will be like labor pains, which is also a beginning. Just let it happen. And when you see what transition reveals in you, don't fight it, don't hide it. Stop in that moment. Don't wait until tomorrow. Stop in that moment. And say, Lord, give me one thing I could do right now to redeem. Like, just one thing. Just one thing. For me, I said, Sophia, where do you think I should put the stuff that's falling out? And she goes, here, and packed it. She packed it. And it worked. And I was like, oh, yeah, you know, I was, Dad was just showing you. I was just teaching you how to, I want to show you how to pack a car. That was really good. That was really good. You'd be good at Tetris. <laughs> at the end of this whole story, the crowd was amazed. Because when Jesus brings healing, crowds become communities. And people were unified in that moment even though all of them were going through a transition that they didn't even know they were going through. They were unified in the healing of Jesus. Let's stand to our feet this morning. Ah, oh, I dropped my water on the new carpet. It's Sophia's fault. Thank God it wasn't pumpkin spice. You can't get pumpkin spice out of anything. You know how many shirts I have ruined? No one loves the fall and Christmas more than me. But one of the reasons I love it is because I don't have it in August. 
sometimes you got to say no so that when you can say yes, it means something, right? Everybody who's dating and not married. <laughs> Just kidding. That's a whole, John, that's a whole different sermon. If they can't say no to pumpkin spice, you know they're not saying no. Well, whatever. Well, it's again, it's a different, it's a different, it's, I'm not lumping you into this. Just saying. Whenever. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you see every person here. You truly see us. You saw us. We, we may have came in standing up, but many of us walked in completely crushed, knowingly and unknowingly. And so I pray right now, just for the next few moments, that we would just be aware that we can be honest, truly honest with the things that just they're not happening inside of us the way we want them to be. Where life is transitioning faster than we can keep up with. It's moving faster than our character is moving. And I just pray that you would allow our micro and macro seasons of transition to reveal what you're healing to reveal what your hand is laid upon in our life. So many of us, we try to move things that should stay and we keep things that should be moved to get through the transition. We receive things too soon or too late. I ask that you would show us what your hand is already laying upon in our life. You are laying hands on us right now. And the transitions that we're in are showing us where you're commanding healing, where you're dividing so that we could be unified, where you're shaming evil in us so that we could be free of shame and guilt altogether. At this meal, on the night of your greatest transition from life to death, where the God who is life dies, you saw that you were going to be broken, and you offered that brokenness to the Father. It says that he took bread, and before he broke it and gave it to us, he held it up to heaven. And he gave thanks. Jesus already knew that that bread meant his body. He was offering up his body to the Father in that bread saying, I know this is going to break. Thank you. I pray, God, every person in this room right now that knows where the fractures are, I pray that they not only can hold that up to you right now in this moment, but also say thank you over it because you're in the brokenness you're in the fracture before we will ever stand up straight you will put your hand on what is broken you took the bread and you said this is my body broken for your broken bodies as often as you come to the table 
do this to be remembered to me. Restored. Remembered. And after supper, you took the cup of wine and you said, this is the blood of the new covenant which will forgive your sins. And yet, God, we stand here having taken this meal and received this forgiveness hundreds of times in our life and we still stand here broken. And what your Spirit is saying is that you've given us the kind of forgiveness, the kind of healing that works over time. Because you've given us time because you're patient. And you're kind. And you walk at the pace of the one among us walking the slowest. Holy Spirit, help us understand what's really happening in this meal where words will fail me to say what's actually happening. I pray that this meal which anchors our faith happened on the night of one of the greatest transitional moments for you. And in transition, what you told us is when you're in transition, sit down, take a deep breath, and feast on my body. Give thanks, sing a hymn, and then go do what we need to do. And so that's what we're going to do right now. Holy Spirit, I pray that you descend on this bread and make it for your people, the body and blood of Jesus, the food and drink of new and unending life in him. And I pray that you descend on us now. Forgive us of our sins. Give us the grace to be honest and to see where you're bringing healing into our life so that we can not only take care of ourselves, but take care of the other selves that you've put around us. These are the gifts of God for the people of God. This is the body of Christ, the bread of heaven. You're welcome on this side of the room to come to me in the center. This side here, if you want some of the cups from the ushers, they have them. Would you just worship one more time? Kind of let your spirit just digest everything that was just said as we come to the table of the Lord. Thanks for listening to the Salem Tabernacle podcast. For more information about us, including gathering times and our location, Check us out online at salemtabernacle.com.